You hear their music every time you listen to an Emerging Civil War podcast. And today on the Emerging Civil War podcast, we'll go behind the music. I'm Chris Mikowski, and we'll chat with Joe Ewers of the Second South Carolina String Band today on the Emerging Civil War podcast. Before we get into today's episode, I want to invite you, if you haven't been there already, to check out our new website at EmergingCivilWar.com. We've redesigned the whole thing to improve the user experience. So it still has all the great content from all the great historians that you're used to reading for free every single day, but we also have great new ways to access our archives, great ways for you to stay in touch with the Emerging Civil War podcast, our publications, our Emerging Civil War series with Savas Beatty, and all our projects, our newsletters, and more. Check us out at EmergingCivilWar.com. Welcome to the Emerging Civil War Podcast. I'm Chris Mikowski, and joining me today is my friend Joe Ewers from the Second South Carolina String Band. Joe, how you been? I've been good. How about you? I'm hanging in there well. Now, folks who've been listening to the podcast for a long time know that the Second South Carolina String Band provides our theme music, and I thought we should spend yeah. some time checking in to hear how the band's doing. So, uh, how's the band doing, Joe? The <laughs> band is retired. That's how we're doing. And yet still making some pretty good music, thanks to the magic of digital technology. Yeah, well, it's, it's not so much that we're making it, it's that we're presenting music that we once made. And, uh, and it turns out that, again, with the, the sort of the technology thing, that uh, um, things that were old, that we did like, well, we, we did a whole video, an hour long video in 1999 uh, called Far, Far From Home, which was, was the title of a novel, or not a novel, a, a reminiscence by um, uh, someone in the third South, Car second, uh, third South Carolina regiment. And uh, it was, that was the title of the book. And it, you know, talked about their experiences. And uh, so it seemed like, uh, would be a good a good title. So we we made this video. It was about an hour long, and uh, it turned out to be what I what I characterize as like the best worst idea that I ever had. And it took it took literally decades for it to you know sink in. But what you, it's when you fall in love with your own idea. Sometimes it's not always a great idea to fall in love with your own idea. And it turns out that I overlooked the the one key element which is that you need to set aside a full hour doing nothing but watching this video because you can't mow the lawn while you're listening to it or watching it you can't you can't do anything except watch the video so and it was a vhs back in the day and uh the quality turned out to be not that great uh at least the reproduction of it and, and um, so that was disappointing. It was very dark looking. And we went from daytime to nighttime. And over two days over uh, the, uh, the uh, Labor Day weekend in September of 1999. And uh, Kevin Hirschberger, you might know, um, was the, uh, the director and producer. And well, the band was the producer with him. 
And uh, that was the beginning of sort of at the very beginning of his career. He'd done a, a, a film called uh, Wicked Spring, which was really cool looking and it featured all uh, campaign style reenactors. So um, long story short, it didn't do well. Um, we had to buy like 2,500, uh, what was it, 1,000? We had to buy 1,000 videos and 2,500 inserts. And I had, it, it took me a long, long time to sell off the, uh, the VHS uh, cassettes and um, never did get rid of all of the, uh, uh, of the inserts. But uh, as time wore on, uh, I went back and uh, I found this, the, the original uh, mini videos, had them digitized, found some really cool uh, free software online called uh, DaVinci uh, Resolve and started editing them myself and improving the color and uh, to whatever extent the, the resolution and uh, and all, and then putting them up. I, I learned that if you instead of had like a, a uh, like Hollywood does, you'd have a, a a title frame, like for example, a title frame behind you, and and you put that up on on uh, YouTube, and a lot of people will just pass it by. Finally, it dawned on me that if you had an interesting picture that had nothing to do with what you wanted to call the whole thing, then you know more people would look at it, and that's what happened. And so. Um, we started not with that, with that video necessarily, but we started putting up uh, videos uh, that we had done uh, in the past. Uh, we hired, um, I, I hired a guy to come down and, and shoot the 150th because I, I knew at the dance there was going to be this the thing that happened at the end of all these dances for several years that we, we never ever imagined or anticipated a crowd would gather in front and they were they were you know they wanted to hear southern soldier and dixie and those were our those were our signature in in tunes and uh, and the place would go nuts and um so i knew it was going to happen so i got this guy to come down he'd never done a, anything like that before but he worked with my son at, at florentine films and uh so we put that up uh, my son edited it at the time. He had time to do that. And he, he edited it. We put it up. I don't remember exactly what year. Um, it was like eight or eight, eight, seven or eight years ago. And uh, a few years later, all of a sudden, one weekend, right around uh, the July event, it went from, I don't know, like 60,000 views or something like that to 180,000 or something. It, it went viral for some reason. And uh, and then, of course, it fell off after that, but it's now got uh, it's closing in on three million views and some of the other ones that we did. We did one at uh, Cedar Creek that was, again, the same kind of thing. That's over two million views. And uh, it now we're we, we have people from all over the world watching the videos and it's new to them. You know, where it's the, the reenacting community uh you know they they know who we are and and everything and for for reasons that uh, i can only thank heaven for is uh you know spotify we have a channel on spotify that i had nothing to do with setting up and there's sixty thousand plus followers on that channel and 
you know, people are listening to the music all the time, all over the place. And that's just amazing. Yeah. The, the band uh, was aging. Um, I'm the oldest. I'll be 80 next October. And um, the other four original, well, the other three original members are now also septuagenarians. And, uh, we, and, and the other two guys, the youngest guys, I got a 45 now, 44, 45, uh, Mike, our, our outstanding fiddler, and uh, and Joe Whitney, I think he cracked into the middle 60s uh, in, okay. in uh, recent times. So, so we're all getting older. Um, we weren't able to get together as much. The political atmosphere, as everyone knows, changed radically. Um, and all of a sudden, everything Confederate was bad. And then we had COVID. And we had, you know, family issues that, you know, were, were starting to crop up, uh, elderly parents and, and uh, other kinds of commitments and, and stuff like that. And it just, I was having a lot of trouble, more and more trouble just getting around. Uh, it turns out I have neuropathy in, in at least one foot, if not the other. And uh, so it began to be more and more trouble. I was the guy that, you know, I brought the, what we used to call the pop stand, which was the, you know, the the uh dining fly in front of my uh, in front of my a-frame tent and that's where we performed and my brother was next to me with his a with his i guess he had a, a half uh i can't remember the one that kind of had sides on it so not the full size but half sides and uh and he had a fly as well and so the two of those would be side by side and that's where we'd set up with and everybody else would set their tents up you know, behind or next to us. And um, just carrying, I carried two, two tents with poles and all the, and the flies for both. Uh, and it just got to, and all my own stuff and instruments, my brother was bringing, always brought the sound system and all his stuff. And it just got harder and harder to do. And, so, and it was, it was a little easier when you were living in Gettysburg, but you guys are from parts scattered across the country well yeah the the band began in salem massachusetts where it's damn hard to be confederate and uh, <laughs> the uh, the unit was created by a uh, uh a a very decorated vietnam war vet uh, richard johns and named after it was named after company i which was a group of, uh, I guess, well-to-do uh, Charlestonians and the men that lived around Charleston. They were part of a militia artillery company, as I understood it. And uh, uh, I should remember the guy's name, but now I'm old and I forget names all the time. That was a real fire-eating secessionist, was a, a member of, of that unit. And the the second South Carolina, but the company I in particular was in from firing on Fort Sumter all the way to Bentonville. And um, so it was a, a Kershaw's brigade, highly decorated, you know, famous Confederate unit. And uh, so that was the name, you know, that we took. And because none of us, except for me and my brother, would have met if it weren't for the for the unit that we joined. Um, after I went to the 125th Gettysburg and caught the bug and wanted to join a Confederate outfit. And that was the only one in, uh, in Massachusetts at the time. And I, 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 I knew who, which side I was on from, 
I guess the fifth grade, maybe fourth or fifth grade, when I first learned about, you know, Pickett's Charge and all of that. It was, and that, you know, I mean, it was only about the soldiers. That's all the, the you know, all the, the rest of it was never a consideration. We just studied the generals and the, you know, the soldiers and so on and so forth. So it was, it was great to be part of the reenactor second South Carolina unit. And so we took the name in honor of the unit. Other, otherwise we'd never, and none of this would happen. Yeah. And you guys kind of got together in the same way that, civil war bands of the time did like you happen to be in the same unit but you also happened to play instruments and kind of click that way right exactly um at first dave who's our lead singer and guitarist guitarist and i we kind of we weren't able to quite coordinate it he'd bring his guitar one time and i didn't think he was coming so i didn't bring my banjo and then the reverse of that and then finally we used to have a uh used to have an event in boston harbor um uh, at Fort Warren, uh, where which was during during the war, it was a uh, prison for um, ranking Confederate officers, among who at one point was Joe Kershaw, <laughs> who was, was uh, rounded up and, and put in there. Um, and we'd be out there for the whole weekend. And the first time that I, I went out there, uh, I got my brother to come along because we'd already done a little playing together, Dave and I, uh, we used to go to a, a place in Massachusetts called uh, Wampatuck State Park, and we'd do like tacticals there, or drill, and whatnot, and we were able to play once or twice. So I asked my brother to, to come because he was a fiddle player. And so uh, I guess the first or second night that we were there, there was a, there was a, I remember it this way, there was a bonfire going and there was a, most of the guys, a lot of the guys were around the bonfire, but there was a lot of drinking going on. Mm -hmm. And none of us in the band were, you know, like super heavy. Most of us in the band were not, you know, really into the drinking scene. So there was this big bush and being backlit by the fire. I remember this, you know, this, you know, spiky black <laughs> silhouette next to us. And then the, the four of us, five of us sitting around on the other side of the bush playing music, mostly that, uh, you know, was, was mostly Dan Emmett and um, Stephen Foster's tunes that Dave, well, all of us had learned in, in grade school with the blocks and the, oh, yeah. you know, the triangle and all that stuff. <laughs> and, uh, um, and so we, you know, we sat there and sang all these songs and, and, uh, and then one thing led to another. And uh, a couple of years later, uh, I guess, yeah. A year or so later, one of the guys said to us, uh, we had, they, they'd asked if we could play at a dance in the bakery at Fort Warren. And we said, well, I don't know, I guess so. We can play what we play. And if you could dance to it, great. You know? <laughs> so, uh, so we did that. And afterwards, uh, I think it was the next day, um, I was walking along and one of the, one of the guys came by. And he was, I think he was the sergeant at the time. And, and he was also active duty military. And he says, uh, you guys should make a tape. It's like, huh? <laughs> so uh, so we started rehearsing. And Dave, uh, Dave was a, is a historian. And he was, at the time, he was working uh, at the uh, House of Seven Gables. He was uh, in charge of the, uh, the docents and the, you know, the presentation of the, of the history of it there. Um, and so he... 
where was I going with this? So, uh, so as you're trying to come up with so the, we would go, the idea for practice, yeah, we would go to this. The, my brother and I would go up to the house of Seven Gables, and and uh, one of the other guys, the drummer, lived in uh, also lived in Salem, and so that we'd get together and we would rehearse some of this stuff, and uh, and over time we began to build up a repertoire, and 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 then we decided we were going to do our first tape. Uh, and it was going to be called um, "We're Tenting Tonight," mm -hmm. and we had the I had the notion that because you know everything was over with, everybody knew you know how the Civil War went and everything. So we, one side would be you know Union songs, and the other side would be Confederate songs. And uh, well, that didn't that didn't really work out. We made two audio cassettes, and on the second one, which was called "The Band of Brothers," we put on. Marching through Georgia and um, Lincoln and Liberty too, because we needed to have you know. And it didn't take long before some of the people that were carrying our cassettes when they were at like uh, memorabilia shows or gun shows or reenactments in down south, and I'm talking deeper south than you know Virginia and the Eastern Theater. I can't sell that tape. So how come you're not? How come you're not taking Band of Brothers? I can't sell it. They, 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 nobody wants it. They won't. They won't even carry it. And I was like, oh, okay. So that's when we we decided, okay, this you know, the, trying to please both sides is just not gonna not gonna happen. So what's our base? Well, our base was well, we were Confederate reenactors, and so the next the next album was uh, Southern Soldier. And that, that hands down is the biggest, that, that's a, uh, it's just, for what it is, it's a blockbuster. Yeah. And it just sells and sells and sells. The, the first two cassettes we put together um, on, on one, because we started going into CDs, because the, you know, car, automobile dealers stopped, or manufacturers stopped putting cassette players in cars. Right. So then we went to CD, and so we we put the first two cassettes together on one CD and called it Hard Road, and uh, those two make up seventy percent of our sales to this day. Yeah. Everything we did after that makes up the other thirty percent. So, <laughs> and and I remember that uh, you know the band has gone through some personnel changes over the years. And yep. Uh, you know, to kind of keep things fair for some of your band members, you've tried to create some new sales opportunities that they have the chance to take advantage of some royalties. And you know, how has the membership changed over the years? Well, um, let's see. The, the original five stayed together until, uh, I guess, in, you know, well, we, we stayed together for a long time. Uh, John Frailer, who was the, the drummer, uh, left the band in, in uh, I think it was in 2020. Uh, he was a Vietnam vet. The travel had gotten, you know, the going back and forth and everything had gotten to be a, a kind of a bummer for him. And so he, he decided that uh, to opt out. And so we were looking for, we were thinking we needed to add an, uh, <clears throat> another rhythm guy, even though we had Bob, Bob Beeman, who played uh, tambourine and bones and everything, excuse me. Yeah, yeah. yeah I was I remember watching him 
the play the first time and then i'm like he's literally playing a jawbone <laughs> yeah yeah you know he, he started collecting what he called his bag of noise and uh he carried a, a he bought a a carpet bag to carry all of this stuff in and people loved that uh he, he would set up a, a one of those camp canvas camp stools and lay out his uh his various he had wooden bones and bone bones and different kinds of animal bones and different kinds of wood bones and uh, yeah he had two different size tambos and um and then he got the jawbone which was hilarious and and uh and people you would come and they they would come over and just stand around and look at all the stuff and he would explain uh, all of that and after uh john frailer had been gone for a little while I mean, I, some of the guys in the band were still saying, well, you know, we need to find a, a drummer. And I'm, it's like Bob's, Bob had these big tambos and I wasn't really missing the drum. Um, yeah. A lot of the time, uh, uh, Fraley used to play uh, what they call rim shots. You know, he would beat out a rhythm on the, with the sticks on the actual rim rather than on the drum hit. Uh, but, you know, the drum really, you know, helped to drive the beat, but Bob's tambos were getting, you know basically doing the same thing and that's when uh we had also added marty grudy who was a a, a fire captain from uh, waterbury connecticut whom we had met reenacting he was a member of the fifth alabama which is out of the hartford area and he i mean he was just an amazing fifer if you had you know 30 fifers marching around with the you know well he was part of the uh uh, it's a really, I can't remember the name of the outfit. It was a really famous fife and drum outfit. They dress up as pirates. Uh, and, but anyway, if there, you know, there's drummers and fifers and if there's 30 of them, you're the one you're going to hear about everybody else is Marty. And, um, so Marty joined the band after he moved to Gettysburg. I mean, he played with us, but when he moved down to Gettysburg, uh, it became a lot more serious. And of course I moved down to Gettysburg in 96 and lived uh, marty lived up on hers ridge and i lived over on the uh, old harrisburg road and so we could get together and practice stuff and uh that's when we and my brother was still up in massachusetts and he was playing with an irish band and uh they were really popular on the cape and so as as the spring came up and you know the cape got more popular that's when the campaign season started right. for in actors so that got to be something of a conflict and and fred carried a lot of the melody line uh -huh. so i felt like we needed somebody to to do that so i started looking for another fiddler at the same time that we were talking about adding another drummer and the fact that uh, marty you know was already playing fife and so um i think it was in two it was in 2000 that uh that marty after we made the far far from home video marty sold his place in, in gettysburg and moved to florida uh and he recommended joe whitney to to fill in now marty left in september so it would have been 2000 it would have been yeah it would have been 2000 so it was a a very large um, Manassas event. And Joe showed up at Manassas. Now he's a, a 
had been a campaign style reenactor forever. Mm-hmm. And uh, he showed up at, for his first time at the, this first Manassas event in Leesburg with his drum, but he also had a, a flute, an 1850s flute. And um, I think, let's see, um, Greg Hernandez was there uh, because Marty had left. We also knew Greg and Greg had also come from New England and had, he was, I think he was still in New England. So we had like eight guys at this event and we started playing stuff that we it sounded like an orchestra. I could not believe my ears. It was, it was fantastic. Now we weren't hired to play the dance at that one. So we got to play, you know, basically all weekend long. And, uh, and so that's when the, you know, we all of those guys got added. Yeah. We also had Tom DiGiuseppe, who was a, like a second, a second chair banjo player. Uh, and, and he, he, he had joined the band that at that event as well. And he was also from new England. He was uh, part of the, uh, the round table up there and had been playing with another on and off with another uh, minstrel group up in there, the Amiskeg players. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he was learning uh, how to play banjo from that guy, uh, the, the leader of that band. Um, and so that's how, you know, we added all of these guys and we had added young Mike. Mike was, I think, just 20 years old. Um, we added him. I brought him on board in early on. It was, wasn't long after I got down. There was My brother still hadn't come down. And uh, when it was the, the Grant V. Lee event, I don't remember exactly what year it was. It was the 97, 98. Anyway, no, it wasn't 98. Would have went, Grant V. Lee would have been after that. It would have been 99, probably, that uh, um, Mike got added to the, the band. So. So as I listen to all this, and you know, and I know this from from knowing you for so long, but uh, you know, you're the keeper of the flame. You know, you're kind of at the center of all this, and and not only you know as as banjo player, but you know, kind of business manager in a lot of respects. How did you end up into that role? Because most people don't get into playing music because they love the management part. <laughs> well, I think it was you know, it, it, I often wondered how how guys that led. Uh, reenactment units got to be the the commanders of the reenactment units and almost universally it was the guy that formed the unit to begin with and kept getting reelected to it i only i only knew of, of one or two outfits that changed their their leadership as a as a you know almost as a requirement mm-hmm. every every two years or so and that was the seventh tennessee and it was a pretty good deal. They got to rotate their commanders. And, uh, but I think in the end, it, it came down to, uh, in, in most cases in, in reenacting, whoever it was that was most interested and had the most time and really wanted to do it for whatever reason, whether it's because they just like to be in charge. Now, I'm, I know that I'm a control person. I, uh, I'm not exactly a control freak. But I, I do like to be able to be sure of what's happening and, you know, and no, I was the one who had the time to do it. I was a freelance uh, artist 
Um, I was running, you know, that business on, on the side. Well, that was my main business actually. Um, and so I could set my own hours and I could do the things that I, you know, budget my time to do whatever I wanted. And everybody was content to let me to, to do that over the years. And I, I tried to never abuse that. I mean, it was every, I might, I might come up with a lot of the ideas to do stuff, but it was always put out as a consensus thing. It's like, what do you think? This is what I'd like to do, you know, and we would go with, you know, whatever the majority wanted to do. Uh-huh. And, um, and so I, the, the highest, I think, I don't know, the, you know, one of the things that means most to me of my, in my entire life is that these guys have trusted me to run this for all these years and, and to just, you know, take care of that part of it. And as, as we began, pardon me to, we, uh, there's, there's so much of this whole story. When, uh, when we changed over from cassettes to uh, compact discs, we needed somebody to make them. And uh, I went to a, a place in New Jersey called, um, uh, okay, I can't remember it now. It'll come to me in a minute. Um, anyway, the, this outfit in New Jersey, and they introduced me to CD Baby. And so I read up on the CD Baby stuff. And um, if you signed on with CD Baby, which was set up to promote I- independent musicians and with all genres. And so I just started whatever they had. I'm so, yeah, sign me up whatever it is. And over the years, they've put us into everything. And, you know, it's like anything that might make money, whether it's fractions of a cent, we're there. Uh People have, you know, our music is ringtones for heaven's sake, if you can imagine that. And, uh, and for that, I don't know what, you know, what fraction of a mill of a whatever, I don't know, you know, we, (laughs) we get every time it plays, but you know, we get, and and over time, um, the industry grew, and and now all music has like a digital fingerprint. So anybody who uses our music for their own little video online, there's this one guy. He he put up uh, a version of uh, one of uh, our version of Dixie, the, what we used to call the endless Dixie, because it had every verse but one. And uh, we called it endless because we, we used to play it all. And then my brother said, no, we're not doing that anymore. We, we can't do that. <laughs> so he edited it down. Anyway, so the guy had put it up and it's like over 10 million views now. And, you know, we get something for every time somebody watches that. So, yeah. so now we're starting to, we're starting to make money and that money enabled us to continue for, 20 years after we stopped carrying the musket and playing the playing the music so we soldiered through 1999 i think it was and played and then in 2000 uh we started to do um suffering and no longer you know going out to fight quote unquote unless you know one of the guys wanted to do it during the battle if you wanted to go out and do it it's like okay go ahead knock yourself out uh but over time we just we stopped doing that and so the 
the money would come in and it helped to pay for everybody's fuel costs because most of them, I lived in Gettysburg at that point. So that was easy. And then my brother came down, I think in 2000 and um, he lived in, in uh, Spring Grove, which was near Hanover. And so half of us were in the, you know, South Central Pennsylvania or close to it. And my brother, uh, I mean, and the other guys, uh, what we used to call the frostbite three would come down from, from New England. And, uh, um, and so it didn't seem fair that they should have to po pony up the, you know, the money to drive all the way down. So we, you know, we had the, I had the money, so we would pay their fuel costs and I'd pay for, I'd pay for beer. And I mean, not beer with food and beer and, uh, um, and just expenses yeah. we paid for the band this, this income from music uh, the music that we'd made and the products that we made paid for you know new instruments paid for uh, sound system paid for microphones paid for fuel paid for lodging paid for you know everything and we ate good i'll say that um wherever we went and it was a band meal it was um who wants a band meal hands would go up uh, <laughs> and because uh, that way nobody had, and uh fred's wife pat don't want to leave her out of the in the in the beginning a lot of the a lot of the wives many of the wives came came with us and that was in the in the years when we were still soldiering quote unquote and uh but as time went on commitments job commitments and family commitments and stuff like that dictated that the that the ladies would stay home Fred's wife, um, uh, her kids were, were grown at that point. And so Patty would come along and we began to view her as, you know, sort of like the, 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 the mother of the lost boys, you know, I mean, she was the, the den mother kind of, and she looked after us and, uh, she would organize, she and Fred would organize the, uh, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the meals that when we didn't, we would eat out when we first got to the site and we, you know, eat out when we left. And, um, but we would eat at the reenactment, um, food that we, they we would buy together or bring and whatnot. And so, uh, and Pat handled all the, uh, over the counter sales at these events and, um, and that, you know, so, in the end, when the when the the thing began, which may be in what you were driving at it, as we reached the end of the trail, um, I began to think, you know, this a friend of ours once said, "This music is evergreen. Yeah. It it never gets old because every year, as you as an educator know, every year there's a new crop, you know, four new crops, whatever it is, depending on what." level you're at of people that are learning about the you know the american history and the civil war and those some of those people go on to want to know more about it and so they you know they get into it and that's where a lot of the sales and and the interest and everything is we've gone way beyond uh you know the, the following that we have goes way beyond the reenacting community anymore and it's you know we get I, we have people that leave comments from china from uh bangladesh from serbia from russia from venezuela from uh, brazil 
from, you know, just people all around Morocco, somebody the other night. Are you kidding me? Morocco, Iraq. I've had some people from Iraq, Iran. It's just unbelievable. And so this is, this money keeps coming in. Um, so what to do? And because I'm, I'm going to be leaving the stage at some point and I don't, uh, it, something needs to be done with this. So I decided to, that again, with consensus agreement to set up a, a trust fund. And um, so I'm in the final stages of that. Um, and uh, after it's going to, the way it's going to work is that it will continue to make distributions to the, the members, the, you know, the living members, and as they pass on to their spouses, and then when that's done, the uh, the money will go to uh, the it, what used to be the Civil War Trust. Now it's the uh, Battlefield Trust, I think. American Battlefield Trust. American Battlefield Trust. Yeah, and uh, we're in the you know we we're in the process of the the attorney will set those wheels in motion once I get all of the material things set up for you know that the uh, whoever needs to know uh, a, a, a new uh, bank account and uh, you know all that legal stuff that needs to be done and then, I think that's such a cool way to bring it all full circle because as more people come to your music you know as you said there are new audiences every year and as they come yeah. to it they'll be supporting um, these battlefields that brought you guys together in the first place exactly so I mean it's, it's a bless the whole thing is a is a blessing I've been saying it for for years it's just you know you see the little kids you know dancing uh, out, out on the edges and uh, you know you look over I don't know, like a couple of uh, Gettysburgs before we finally gave it up there was a a couple of young kids showed up with their mom and dad and one the little girl was like six the little boy was like four maybe and they knew the words to the Bonnie Blue Flag, all of them. <laughs> and one of them had a, a Union flag, and one of them had a Confederate flag. And and uh, the little boy wanted to be Confederate. The little girl wanted to be a, a, a Yankee. A couple of years later, a year or two later, she showed up uh, again. Well, they kept coming back. And well, they're in one of their a couple of the videos, and the little girl showed up, and she's wearing a. a a kepi, a, a federal kepi with a bucktail. It's the, one of the best bucktails I ever saw. It was <laughs> fantastic. And I said so. And uh, talking to her dad later on, he says, you know, she shot that beer, that deer. <laughs> no way. <laughs> she shot the deer? He goes, yeah. She was, I think, maybe six or seven. That's her buck. Holy moly. Are you kidding me? So, uh, yeah, it's meeting people like that and the people that come up. I, uh, that's the part that I think all of us miss more than it. That when you're playing music together, one of the experiences that we, that we all had is you, we had this like micro, this mini experience that you see when you watch, you know, famous rock and roll people or famous musician groups and and you watch the documentaries that that they've all put out and they all speak of this this sort of a telepathic 
thing that happens uh, where you're really, you know, you're, everybody is just together. And it's something you really can't describe, but it's something that you can really feel. And, it's, you know, and sometimes the crowd gets that too. But it's just, you know, we miss that. We miss making the music. <clears throat> but I think we miss talking to the people. Uh, and, and that's why I, I respond to as many of the comments on, on our YouTube uh, channel as, as I can. Uh, and I pick them out and, you know, sometimes I take a, I take an uh, exception to something that somebody says. Some of this stuff is, we've only had a handful of people that are really, you know, awful. Yeah. Uh, and you just hit the, get rid of them and stuff. But some people just don't understand, especially people from overseas. And um, I sometimes recommend reading. I sometimes just say, uh, well, you know, it's pretty clear you don't know anything about it. So maybe you want to, maybe you want to do some reading before you weigh in yeah. you know, going <laughs> yeah. forward. So, oh yeah, I get those sort of things all the time. As yeah, you can imagine. Yeah, you know, just, <laughs> here, read this and read that. So, so you know, you, you mentioned the, the little girl with the bucktail, and that reminds me the first time you and I met in person, and uh, yeah. we were doing an event in Driftwood, Pennsylvania, which is yeah. in the middle of the nowhere mountains in elk country, uh, and it's the home territory of the bucktails, and you guys were doing an encampment in, in a concert, a firelight concert, and so I came down because I lived not too far from there, yeah. and uh, what an amazing performance you guys did, and you know, you talk about that that connection that you all get, and you guys were just all in sync and the crowd was in sync and it was just a, an, a, a transcendent musical experience, really. I don't know how else to describe it. It was just wonderful. Was just yeah, that was, that's one of the most memorable events that, that we ever did. It was, I always used to say that was our favorite venue to play at, at around a campfire. Yeah. And they had set that up and you're right. It was out in the middle of nowhere. One of the guys, well, it was Whitney drove, he decided he didn't want to come, you know, the regular way. He wanted to follow one of those, you know, one of those big uh, omnibus maps, the ones that fold out and get down to like really the nitty gritty. And he he wound up fo following a fire trail and literally drove out of the woods right behind where we were <laughs> set up. <laughs> and later on, the people who lived there said, "You you came out, you, you came down that trail." And they said, "Yeah." And he says, "Yeah." And they said, "Man, you're lucky to be alive." <laughs> Some of those things just go into like pits, you know, and you could have disappeared forever. Anyway, so yeah, it was that was a that was one of the magic ones uh, that that event. Those guys were great. That it was it was amazing to be in, in as a confederate band to be invited to play for one of the most storied uh pennsylvania units uh you know union units federal units in, in, in the civil war and it was like and, and that kind of summed it all it's like it's over you know the war is over the issue was settled you know we're not we don't hate each other we just we 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 sing about it we we pretend it's pretend hello we're not we're not really killing that Yankee soldier. And, you know, just like when, when people hear that and they see the, the videos, it's like there are Yankees out there in the audience and they're singing along. They used to like that song. So yeah, it's, uh, you know, when you and your daughter showed up at that, it was, I was like, wow, he, he really made it. And it is out there. 
you want to go for a you want to go for a gallon of milk it's a hike uh, you know and you know you talk about uh, when you have in the map and it's a place that even today if you had gps you lose signal because you're just out in yeah the, it's down in one of those one of those ravines now those guys uh and, and they must have told you but uh they they would build a raft they actually did it during the i guess during the when 150th or 140th or one of the big events they built a raft just like the forebears did uh on in may on that on that mountain stream and they and they rafted down a log raft and i've seen some of the video of it it's terrifying <laughs> they took that all the way down to the susquehanna and down to harrisburg yeah. Yeah. those guys are serious dudes <laughs> Great people. Uh, they, were the, they were the last, uh, well, actually the next to last, but the last field event that we did. They invited us to a, a reunion uh, uh, in the August of 1990, uh, sorry, 2019. And um, we were going to be there and play uh, a couple of concerts for them at that. And we got, uh, it started to cloud up in the Saturday afternoon. And we got one of those wind shear events oh yeah things and it it brought down the the uh, shelter half that we went out of shelter it was like a dining fly that we were under soaked all the instruments soaked the sound system and we just weren't able to continue and uh it, and we felt really bad about it but uh we just you know we couldn't even come back the next day the stuff was damaged Hmm. Well, talk about bringing down the house, I suppose. Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, anything I haven't asked you that I should have, Joe? Well, I don't know. Probably. probably but uh, <laughs> I know uh, folks can still find you at uh, civilwarband.com. Well, actually, actually, yeah, they can still find it there. But um, I tried to, you know, redo the I wanted to redo the web page, uh, you know, the, the web page at one point. And it just, by that, by the time I got around to wanting to do that, um, Facebook had come along mm -hmm. and I found it was a lot easier to do stuff on, you know, to communicate with people on Facebook that I, I had to work through somebody else to put anything up on the webpage. I don't code. I don't do WordPress. I don't, you know, understand any of that stuff. And I like the back and forth with people on, on Facebook. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of Facebook, but for that, it was, it was pretty good. And the only reason that I would have that I had the Facebook uh, page for the band and for myself was, you know, to accommodate the band uh -huh. stuff. And, uh, and then that kind of morphed into the, uh, the uh, YouTube channel. Uh, so I, I keep, I keep it up with both of those and I, I don't really know <laughs> don't really know what I want to do about the the web page if you want to get a hold of us uh you can still go there and you can send uh if you can figure out how to do it it's I think it's info at civilwarband.com or something like that and then somehow that magically gets to me as an email uh, or, but the best way is uh, second South Carolina spring band on Facebook uh, or Joe Ewers uh, on Facebook. Um, and of course you can leave comments and stuff on, uh, on the um, 
YouTube channel uh, on it at, at, at videos. I get notifications about a lot of the stuff. And um, so there's that. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, Joe, it's been a privilege to, to catch up and do a little reminiscing today. Well, thanks a lot. It's been great to see you again, Chris. And I follow you guys on uh, the emerging civil war. Um, I've, I've read your books, some of them, and um, the whole, it's like you say, it's like the whole thing came full circle. <laughs> so really, really cool what you guys are doing down there. And, and uh, I've, I like the new, uh, you know, your new uh, web page. Oh, thanks. Great. Thanks. That's thanks. great. Is that actually up? or is it, it is. So we're still working on some kinks, but uh, um, so far the launch has been pretty smooth overall, and right. uh, we're pretty happy with it. So thanks. I went there last. I went there last night, and I wasn't sure, you know, but there was it. It seemed to be working. It was working, but it seemed to be. So yeah. I'll, I'll be going back. Thank you. Thanks so much. Yeah. All right, man. All right. Thanks. Take care of yourself. You Bye -bye. too. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. And as we wrap up, let me remind you, please like, please subscribe, please share the podcast, help spread the word of Emerging Civil War's mission to help people stay connected to the America's defining event here at the Emerging Civil War podcast. Uh, thanks to Jackson Mikowski, our engineer, for piecing things together. Thanks to the Second South Carolina String Band and Joe Ewers today especially for the theme music they provide. You can find them online at civilwarband.org or find them at Facebook at Second South Carolina String Band. Also, don't forget to join us online at Emerging Civil War. We've got a brand new website for you to check out at EmergingCivilWar.com. We'd love to have you as part of our ongoing conversation about the American Civil War and its aftermath. For the Emerging Civil War podcast, I'm Chris Mikowski. Thanks so much for being with us today. We'll see you online and on the battlefield. 